This is a matter of taste. Ride with us! <laughs> We're like babes in the wild. <laughs> or does in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nep it is. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. <laughs> it's wackadoo. Hello, everyone. This is indeed a matter of taste. I'm Ian. I'm here with Theo. Hello. And tonight we are joined by Raiden of the Anglophies podcast. Hello, Raiden. Hello. I have beer because I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we tonight we will be discussing uh, episode nine of uh, season three of Hannibal and the woman clothed with the sun. Because we're doing painting titles now. Yeah, and I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. I think that works. It's working out really well for the Red Dragon arc. Yeah. Um, although I did notice on <laughs> Cleo reblogged something having to do with the episode this this past week, and I saw in her tags on Tumblr something like these friggin' titles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Cleo. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. Uh, uh, I don't know where we want to start. Uh, is there anything in particular that you guys wanted to start off with? or I, I'm being a terrible I... host by not starting the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to start with... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, let's just start at the beginning. Okay. With how pouty Hannibal is. Oh, my gosh. So pouty. So friggin' pouty. Oh my god! <laughs> it, it, I, I haven't read the book, but I could, I feel like I could tell where the delineation was between lines from the book and lines that were written for the TV series. Part of that probably, part of that comes from having watched the, the movies that, uh, have been based on this story arc and recognizing those lines, but the lines that weren't that I felt like weren't from the book were lines that I I felt were when Hannibal was like, oh, remember Will when we were best friends and stuff? Come on, <laughs> I gave you a child. What are you so mad about? Which that line I couldn't figure out was he talking about Abigail or was he talking about Margot's child, which then was, you know. No, he was, see, somebody, somebody actually pointed this out to me. He was talking about Abigail, and I didn't, this cleared up so much for me when it comes to season two, because that's the reason that he insinuates that Margot's going behind Mason's back to Mason. Because he has to have Mason kill Margot's child in order to make a space in the world for Abigail. That's his logic. Oh, oh my god. Okay, yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. That makes a space for Will's child in the world so he can bring back Abigail. Oh. I didn't even realize that dick. until somebody pointed that out to me. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. This is and there are probably like people listening to the podcast who like, 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 knew that for uh, like a season. They're like, you guys are stupid. Like <laughs> this, this is one of those like Escher painting moments uh, that Hannibal is notorious for. <laughs> yes. Where it's like the per the deeper you look, the just more horrible it gets. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that was like such a moment of clarity for me because that part of the season had always bugged me. Oh. Well, uh, it it hadn't really bugged me because I could tell that like okay yes it there they were bringing up the the. Uh, the child ideas, and that was sort of a rehearsal of the Abigail being Will's child, Will and Hannibal's child. But I never thought about the fact that Hannibal specifically was creating an Abigail-shaped hole in Will to uh, 
make Filled that surprise even more. Oh my gosh. God, it's such a fucking dick move. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm glad we could start out with something really horrible to just set, set the tone, set the really. Tone. Yeah. Okay. So, besides that, um, yeah, Hannibal gave Will a child and then immediately took it away again. We, we, we relived that moment. A lot of this yep. episode did have to do, we did get to see the stuff with Abigail, which I, I, again, my first time watching these episodes, it's sort of just like a, oh, what's going on? What's going on? It, holy crap, what's going on? But mm-hmm. upon a second watch, I, I tend to be like, oh, I see what they were doing here. And at first I was like, the Abigail stuff seemed disjointed from the rest of it. But now, Knowing that there's that context, it's clear that, okay, the reason that her stuff is present in this episode alongside the Dollar Hide stuff and Hannibal bringing up the, like, the stepson and everything, it's all this family stuff going on. Yep. Um, yeah, family is like the big all-consuming theme of this episode. And this arc of the season, this but yeah, this, this, yeah. Arc, yeah. Oh, this, this episode in particular. Which, speaking of which, before I forget... One of the notes that I wrote down upon my second viewing, we had the uh, scene between Will and Alana where they're talking about stuff and Alana's like, so what the fuck is Hannibal doing? And Will's like, shut up, he's not getting in my head or anything, everything's gonna be okay. And then they have a little moment where they get to talk, where Will asks her about Margo and she's like, oh yeah, we're still together, we have a kid, a verger baby. Uh, and I love the freaking expression on Car- Caroline DeVernis' face when she said, a verger, baby. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just, it emoted everything that is loaded with. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and I also think, I can't remember what recap I was reading that pointed this out, but that's really interesting because that confirms that Alana is only there to be Hannibal's gatekeeper. Yeah. Like, yeah. if they have a baby who is the heir to the verger fortune, she doesn't need to work for the rest of her life. Right. Yeah. Like, she's specifically there just to hold the keys to Hannibal's cage. Right. And on my second watch this afternoon, where she's saying, I have the keys to all five of those doors, I'm like, that's a terrible plan. <laughs> and as you were saying, that's that- a terrible <laughs> plan. Because if you have all the keys, you're the only one that he needs to get to to get all those doors open. If you gave one of those keys to somebody else, I mean, I know it's not like literal keys, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. What five doors? That was a specific number that she said. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that whole scene upon my second viewing, I started to see rehearsals for a lot of different things, and mm-hmm. one of the things I'm worried about, especially in uh, context of the later scene where Alana's talking about all the stuff that she can take away from Hannibal and then Freddy talking about how like oh well Hannibal seems to be doing pretty well and like people were commenting on the fact like oh how did he get his uh, really nice cell and I had one theory that I had talked about with Cleo but now I think I have now it seems a little simpler than what I was thinking that the reason Alana has given Hannibal all these amenities is because she doesn't want him talking about the fact that, oh, actually it was Alana and Margot who killed Virgil, right. not Hannibal. So he's got right. that to hold over them. And then the other thing that I was thinking about was with all these rehearsals for these different storylines and stuff, which we'll get, there's a bunch of them going on that we'll talk about, but there's also the line from last episode where Hannibal brought up the whole uh, I always keep my promises, mm-hmm. which was very curious. And then we got Alana talking about how she has a family. And I'm starting to wonder if instead of sending Dollar Hyde to kill Will's family, he's going to send them to kill Alana's family. That would be just like him. I, I was kind of thinking that as well. I'm not <clears throat> just because if he where where we are in the season right now, we haven't yet earned Hannibal sending Dollar Hide after Will. Mm-hmm. Like so, I could see that happening. But again, we've we've still got some episodes to go, so we're, I'm not sure where we'll end up. But as of right now, 
Hannibal sending Dollarhead after Will is absolutely unearned. So we we should say here for this is this is I guess kind of a spoiler, but it might be a reinvent a remix as we're, we're talking about right now. In the, the book and the movies, Red Dragon and Manhunter, for those who haven't read it or watched it, uh, Hannibal sends Dollarhide to kill Will's family. Like, there's a line in the one of the teasers for the season. I, I think they used it in one of the teasers for the season where, or this part of the season where Hannibal says, kill them all, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, uh, we talked about last season how that was a direct inspiration for, or like Brian Fuller talked about last season, how that was a direct inspiration for Will sending Matthew Brown to kill Hannibal. Sort mm-hmm. of a reflection of that. Um, but yeah, that, like, the moment that star- those wheels started turning it, like, cause in that scene, where Alana is talking to Hannibal in the cell, and she's talking about all the stuff she can take away from him. He says, "How is how is Margot?" Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that is when uh, Alana says, "The wheels are turning. I can hear the gears turning in your head, Hannibal, or something like that." Right. And I'm just like, "Oh no! Oh no!" <laughs> but yeah. Lots of rehearsals for different things. The, these first two episodes of the Red, Red Dragon arc. Yeah. So here's a question from that same scene. There's a point where Hannibal says, tick, tick, boom. Do we think that's in a reference to the Broadway or the musical, the Jonathan Larson musical? Or something else? I'm looking at the plot synopsis for it, and it really doesn't seem to apply. I am not familiar with the musical, so... Well, I just found it on Wikipedia, so... Okay. I don't know, you're my music guy. I... <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I have failed you. you failed Ian, you me. need to be familiar with every musical! <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Um, Back to the cupboard under the stairs with you. <laughs> <laughs> Name the spiders! <laughs> Oh, that's a... <laughs> Although, the, according to, again, the Wikipedia entry, the first line in the show is is over a persistent ticking sound. That sound you're hearing is not a technical problem. It is not a musical cue. It is not a joke. It is the sound of one man's mounting anxiety. Is this talking about the musical or the Hannibal? The musical. Oh, okay. So, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we got I'm just, that. I'm just doing English student. I'll just throw all the crap in and see that, what gets me a five on my essay. Th- this is the podcast for that, because we do that all the time. I threw around the term Bildungsroman today on Twitter when talking to Cleo. Um, <laughs> Cleo is trying to figure out how to explain Hannibal Rising in her secondo recap. <laughs> um, you can't. Money grab. That's how. Money grab. <laughs> no, not, I mean, not on Harris's part. <laughs> <laughs> that was blackmail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't say it was Harris's money grab. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> they basically came up to him and said, write this or we'll find somebody who will. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, speaking of Bildung's Roman, R- Roman, Segwaying, we got that one scene in the middle of this episode of uh, Dollarhide as a kid at the table with, uh, I'm guessing, his grandmother. With Grandma Dollarhide. And uh, the music during that scene was, it starts off with this, like, honky-tonk piano thing that just goes off the wall as the mm-hmm. scene goes on. I was just like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Dollarhide is just... So, uh, let's open discussion. How are we feeling about Richard Armitage's uh, portrayal of Dollarhide so far? Scaroused. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that word brought up. I think you brought it up specifically on Twitter. <laughs> yes, I did. Scaroused. Because, I mean, like, my love for Richard Armitage is pure and true. And I'm apparently the only person on the planet who's like, no, I like the Hobbit movies because I get eight and a half hours of him brooding at me. <laughs> so I'm good. 
<clears throat> but he's so physical. His physicality is just like I can't even. Uh, I I I understand you there. <laughs> and I mean, the the man's also ripped, so yeah, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he his face and his eyes are so intense, and he can use his body. In way, he used to be a dancer, mm-hmm. and you can tell. Yeah. And he knows how to make Dollarhide into this weird, creepy, otherworldly. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally believe that this man believes that there is a dragon underneath his skin. Yeah. Well, and it, this actually reminds me of something that I popped into my head before when we first got the teaser, where like there was that one clip of him. Uh, that we saw from the first episode of mm-hmm. him, like, doing that weird back thing. Yep. And uh, I remember some posts saying, like, so it, w- what is uh, what is that movement like? Is it more, like, cat-like or something? I'm like, guys, guys. Yeah. <laughs> dragon. Red dragon. Come on, guys. What's the title of the book? Come on. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting, because comparing, like, his performance to Ray Fiennes' performance... Mm-hmm. I think they're hitting the same notes of like anger and this like like wounded core, but in entirely different ways. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. Like they they've managed to do these very different performances that are still hitting those those same areas, which is kind of like the opposite of what they did in terms of Hannibal's portrayal, where they just cordoned off Hopkins and said, "We're not going to touch that. We're going to do something very different." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Dollar Height, it seems like they're they're walking the same path, just in a very different way. Yeah. And I find it, I, I just found it really interesting. And there there are some choices he makes that are different. Like I think I pointed this out when we were um, when the episode was on. Like his his delivery of Ride with Me is almost like really plaintive and sad compared to Ray Fiennes' kind of more uh, you know um, played up uh, delivery mm-hmm. of the yeah. line. Is, is how I'm going to put it. Uh, yeah, and, like, I, I wasn't sure if I agreed with you when I first watched the episode, but watching it again, his ride with me definitely, it, it feels more natural. But for my pleasure, just still feel, and that's just the the content of it, still feels kind of creepy. Yeah, no, that's yeah, a really you know, bizarre thing to say to somebody. <laughs> it really is. And you know, kudos to Richard for doing his best with that line, but there there are some lines you can't save no matter how good you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like trying again to figure out the delineation between the two portrayals, Ray Fiennes's and uh, I feel kind of bad that we aren't even bringing up, uh, was it Tom Noonan from yeah. Manhunter? I haven't seen either one of them, so I can't help you. Um, if we if we get if we get the tiger in Hannibal, we'll start talking about Tom Noonan. I'm sure, because <laughs> that scene was fucking bonkers. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, looking more at the the differences between uh, the Ray Fiennes portrayal and uh, Richard Armitage's portrayal, I think one of the things that sort of came up as uh, like Cleo and Alina and you were discussing it on Twitter it, it, that just came to mind for me is that there's a lot more in Ray Fiennes' portrayal there, the red dragon is a, and we haven't really seen the red dragon fully fledged yet for Richard Armitage, the way that it is for Ray Fiennes in like the, uh, the slideshow scene, for example, mm-hmm. To not give away too much. Um, but it seems like a lot of the confidence that, or strength that Francis Dollarhide feels as the Red Dragon, uh, or at least some of it translated into the Francis Dollarhide character in Ray Fiennes' portrayal, whereas, at least so far, Francis, uh, Richard Armitage's Francis, Francis Dollarhide, these names, too many consonants, too many syllables. <laughs> um, his Francis Dollarhide is much more subdued, much more unassuming, much more uh, just sort of like, yeah, I, 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 come, come ride with me, please. <laughs> right. And like the the whole scene where he, he meets Reba and 
we need to get to Rutina Wesley because she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy to see her in a show that actually respects her as a person. <laughs> 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 and an actress and her character as a person. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm bitter, True Blood. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, I'm nothing, fucking nothing bitter. <laughs> um, is that if you didn't know what he was, it's totally a meat cute. Mm-hmm. And you still kind of find yourself like, maybe these two crazy kids can make it work. Oh, wait, he murders people. Yeah. Like a lot. Children. He murders he children. He murders children. <laughs> like a lot. He's not well. We, and we, Yeah. <laughs> we saw him covered in blood in the moonlight. I, I right. want to be a fly on the wall in the writer's room for this show. We're, we're like... Like Fuller walks in and he's like, "All right, so we're done with the first half of season three. We did our we did our art house giallo horror, uh, you know, homage and that sort of thing. What are we gonna do next? Uh, you know, rom com. We haven't been there. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. And then the the scene in her house where he keeps her from touching his face mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, trust me, I'm smiling." It's filmed in such a way that he almost looks scaly. Oh. And the light is so harsh and it's so threatening. And you're like, okay, I'm done with the rom com now. Reva, yeah. run, please. Run. He's scary. Scare roused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I definitely found that, that scene scary. <laughs> Like yeah. when it, when and uh, when it, he uh, says, "Trust me, I'm smiling." It, I'm really wondering how Reba isn't just like, "Oh, I fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I fu- that's it. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I've been up. out in the world. I'm done with that now. I'm ready to go back. <laughs> just today, I think I was uh like someone reblogged something of ours and I clicked to see what it was and on the same page was that post from uh, someone had a uh, screenshots from Psycho where uh where it's the scene with uh, uh I don't remember any of the characters I don't remember the woman's name in Psycho played by Janet Lee the woman in the shower yes yeah the one in the shower yeah, she she has that moment with uh, Patrick Bateman in the office, and uh, he's like, uh, "A mother is a man's best friend." And in the screenshots, it, there's like a pause, and then it's just, "Shit, I fucked up. I fucked up. I fucked up. I'm gonna die." <laughs> I, I fucked up so bad. <laughs> I love that post. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, and I. I don't like I I, I mentioned as I'm always quick to mention I haven't read the book so I wonder how Reba reacted to that in the book and I wonder why in both portrayals or in because I, I don't remember if they had that scene in Manhunter but in all the portrayals that I've seen of that particular scene I I'm wondering why the Reba character isn't just like backing away like oh okay uh just from the tone <laughs> nope. of his voice nope um i am um, i have read the book but it was several years ago and i am stalling well uh look it up on my kindle and again i i don't know how many lines are lifted directly from the book or they were just lines from Red Dra- the Red Dragon, the movie, or I, I I'm pretty sure that line is in the book. Okay. I, I'm it not a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure. Well, the other things that I wanted to bring up was the way that that scene between Hannibal and Will plays out after Will gives him the file after the Alana scene, uh, and Will comes back to discuss the case with him because the way they shot that was so freaking cool. How it goes from the cell to Hannibal's office, like it's one of their old discussions, to the crime scene, to the outdoors and stuff. It Like, I just friggin' loved the way that scene moved. Location-wise. Yeah. yeah, I really like how they 
kept the best office ever, TM Cleolinda. Yes. <laughs> and Hannibal's ridiculous wardrobe still alive without mm. letting well, it go. And it, and it really serves the story because, like, there's a... I love... I love the... Oh my gosh, these guys. I can't believe that they haven't been nominated for Emmys yet because they have that moment where... Hannibal's like, have you considered whether the guy might be disfigured? And Han- and Will says, interesting, in this very stilted way. And Hannibal's just like, come on. You you already knew that. And that's when it shifts over to the office scene, and Will starts sound... Like, Hugh Dancy... Hugh, Hugh Dancy... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Hugh Dancy actually starts to sound like he's speaking more naturally. Like it... Like, it's one of their old discussions of a case that they used to have in, his, in the best office ever. Yeah. And I just, I love the way that they're able to create that distinction in just the nuances of comfort and emotion and stuff. And it's like, ah, why do, don't, I go, at least they've got, they got, was it a Saturn Awards? I think both of them have Saturn Awards for acting on this show. Yeah. But yeah, that that whole scene. Uh, also, it was a great way to set that scene. Use basically all the same dialogue that was used in the in the book and in the previous two movies, but shoot it and uh, deliver it in such a unique way from those other portrayals. Although one of the things that I I did. Uh, this may just be because it was my first, uh, it was the first time it, seeing the scene, and so that sort of jades my, uh, my viewing of reinterpretations of the scene. But mm-hmm. I still kind of like the, uh, the scene, uh, as it was portrayed in Manhunter a little bit more, just because of the way that the scene ends. And I brought this up when we were talking about Manhunter on the podcast, episode 10 or 11, I think. Um, when they, like, the way that that scene plays out in Manhunter is there's this just winding tension as Hannibal's comments, Hannibal as portrayed by, by Brian Cox, as his comments get more and more intimate until finally, uh, Will Graham is, he's, almost, like, begging to get out of the room, and then he just runs through, like, the hallway, down or up a flight of steps. He runs all the way out of the institution until he's out on this, like, catwalk area where he's, like, breathing heavily. And it's like, he it was like Hannibal's words were a physical toxin filling the room that he had to get away from. And there's something about that that I just really love, the physicality of it. And I, I understand what... And I, I kind of, on the one hand, I miss that from the scene as it was portrayed here. At the same time, I'm kind of glad they didn't do it that way because it, uh, it could have seemed a little too copycatish. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I worry about this part of the season is like I'm trying, I, I'm recognizing how much that I'm comparing this portrayal of the Red Dragon arc to the other interpretations, and I'm trying to hold back on that a little bit, but it's also really interesting to consider those similarities and differences. Okay, I found the the scene in Red Dragon, <clears throat> and she... what the, the direct line from him is, take my word that I'm smiling. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't react to it he he leaves she's like i think the coffee's ready and he's like i need to go sorry and he leaves and she makes a gin and tonic Hmm. and that's pretty much it yeah so she didn't have that much of a sense of self-preservation, I guess. Yeah. I don't well, know. Or Harris just didn't... It didn't occur to Harris that women, that's a thing that women develop? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess... Uh, because now my, I'm thinking, like, well, then why did Rafe Fiennes and 
Richard Armitage portray, like, deliver the line that way. And, uh, I guess it's just because Dollar Hyde really doesn't have social skills. That, like, no. That's part of his character. And so, it, when he says that, like, there is a way to make that line sound more natural and less creepy. Mm-hmm. But it probably wouldn't fit the character the way right. that he's being interpreted. Yeah. I think that was more for our benefit than hers. Yeah. Uh, okay, so j- just jumping around. Um, Freddy this episode was pretty fantastic. <laughs> Murder husbands! They, yeah. Murder husbands! Oh my god. That is in canon now. It is in <laughs> canon. This is... It is amazing at how much this show, I, I was thinking about it today, it's amazing how much this show, with as much fan interaction as Brian Fuller and the creators of the show have with their fans, there's always a danger that the, the art can become a slave to the fandom, or like they can be, like, I think specifically of stuff like the Silent Hill fandom, where the fans were clamoring for different things, and then uh, the developers were like, hey, here, is this what you want? And they're like, no, fuck you. You should go die. Um, what, what was the other example I was thinking of? But th- there's there's such a fine line in terms of, like, okay, how much do you listen to the fans, and how much do you not let their varying interpretations of the text affect your your artistic vision? Which sounds really pretentious, but... There's a certain point when it comes to writing where you just got to be like, okay, I'm aware of the audience, but I ultimately I've got to write something that I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. The fact that they've been able to uh, incorporate so many different things that like the the fans are either asking for or didn't know that they wanted into the show, and it's still a very high quality show, just blows my mind away. Like, the fact that they fit in the term murder husbands in a way that felt completely natural, because Freddy just follows it up with, well, you did run away to Europe together. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I'm, I'm unceasingly blown away by the, the, the writing staff on this show. Yeah, and how they're able to walk a line that a lot of shows just pretend aren't even there. Yeah. Fans, we have fans, they take things way too seriously. Like, I think back to the the friggin' Hurt Comfort fic that broke out last season during Suzukana and Shizukana. Yeah. <laughs> or Shizukana and Tomei Wan, whatever it was. But yeah. But yeah. That, that broke out over the course of this entire show. Yes. <laughs> I specifically remember Hannibal making Will Chicken Soup in season one. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he made me chicken soup? Did I fucking stutter? Yes! <laughs> she was also the cause of the hurt in that case. But <laughs> details, I, I, as, details, what? As, as he is in most cases. <laughs> um, But in, in that Freddy scene, we also got another rehearsal of uh, people who are familiar with the movie or novel, the movies or novel, will recognize Freddy saying, you should use me, uh... Which, I, again, I don't know if that's a specific line or if it's just rehearsing the, the fact that, like, in the novel, they do, well, again, they I don't do. want to spoil too much, <laughs> but they do use Freddy Lounge to a certain extent to try and, uh, to try and uh, smoke Dollar Hyde out of hiding. Mm-hmm. With uh, interesting results. <laughs> I mean, a friendly reminder, It was a terrible though. pun. <laughs> A friendly reminder, though, that... Uh, oh, man, I didn't even realize! <laughs> <laughs> I thought you did it on purpose. Uh, I was just searching for the word that I was looking for, and that was just the phrase I was looking for. I didn't even think about it. Yay, un- unintentional puns, they're back! <laughs> Shilton has not yet been mauled this season. And we not yet, but there are still face. four episodes left. Yeah. Still... But there, were, there are people who are suggesting that Chilton's going to take the place of Freddy for the novel. Yeah, which could be interesting. <laughs> could be interesting, and should we get a season four, knock on actual wood and not particle board? Um, I don't I have, have a lot any. of IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> should we get a season four, then Chilton's just going to come back as a brain in a jar. 
He's he's gonna look like friggin' uh. Or he's gonna be one of the head in the jars in Futurama. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna look like friggin' Wade Wilson in the new Deadpool trailer. Right. <laughs> he looked like Freddy Krueger face fucked a topographical map of Utah. <laughs> That's such a good line. Make me angry. <laughs> That's when you get those lines that are like, why the fuck didn't I write that first? <laughs> <laughs> Um, another another note I have here is just the the phrase "moral dignity pants." When yeah. <laughs> Hannibal's talking to Alana, and he's just like, "You have Will dressed up in moral dignity pants," <laughs> which I found particularly amusing, just because back in college, a friend of mine had this running joke of wearing the pants of decisiveness. <laughs> Like, she was in a relationship with a guy who was not very decisive about things, and so she was like, I am wearing the pants of decisiveness tonight. <laughs> and so we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. I've been in that relationship. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, the yeah. other rehearsal that we had that, again, as much as I want to avoid spoilers... I, I feel like it's a disservice to uh, not discuss this storyline in the context of the book and the movies and all of those details because there's a lot of interesting stuff to uh, draw parallels with and to uh, conjecture about. Specifically, when Jack comes in and he's talking to Hannibal and Hannibal has that line where he says, Bella always said that uh, your something like your Bella always said your face was full of scars. Uh, your face is all scars if you look hard enough. There's always room for more. Uh, or do you think Will has room for more? And I was like, and I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, but Will's also the one with visible scars on his face, and it's your fucking fault, Hannibal. Yeah, he's, like, I noticed this episode that he's got that scar on his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> From, which he should have, because he had a friggin' saw, saw taken to his head. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. show. This show. <laughs> but yeah, so speaking specifically about that, there are a lot of things that I feel like are going to happen, because I think we got a comment on our last episode talking about like oh I don't know how much they're actually going to lift from the book for the ending and I think we are going to get scarred Will Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen the same way it does in the book or the movie or it didn't happen in the movie so I don't think it's going to happen the same way it happened in the book just from comments that specifically Richard Armitage has made about the final episode Mm -hmm. because he made some comment about him, Hugh Dancy, and Mads Mikkelsen all being in a scene together, which did not happen in the book. Right. <laughs> and I am really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Like, I like the fact that they're setting all this stuff up where I'm like, okay, so I sort of know what's going to happen because I've seen the movies. But I think they're, like, they've done so many times on the show, they're setting it up just to subvert it in some hope... I expect really cool and interesting ways. Yeah, when I was doing the live tweet on Saturday, and I said, Regina! And um, Dana from Made a Fail was like, wait, Regina from True Blood? <laughs> and I said, yes! She's finally on a show that actually like likes her. And she said, is she going to get et? And I said, well, she doesn't in the book. And Dana said, well, from my understanding, what happens in the book is not necessarily what happens in the show. And I said, well, that is accurate. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, her her storyline doesn't really take her into Hannibal's direct influence and chopping block. True. Also, she is generally unfailingly polite unless you fuck with her. Mm-hmm. So. I hope she, she doesn't get hurt because I like her. 
Right. <laughs> I also, again, I really like this Molly. Mm-hmm. I love their scene with the, I'm feeling Randy. I'm feeling Randy. <laughs> you know, he's a new dog. He has giant balls. <laughs> <laughs> She's fantastic. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, and, and then that just little reversal of mood, that hard left turn where she's like, oh, you even had a cr- criminal mind as a kid, which to anyone else, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's a funny comment to make. But for Will Graham, it's like, fuck. I don't have a criminal mind. I don't. Nope. Not me. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, I didn't just spend the past five years wrestling with that or anything <laughs> on a fundamental no. philosophical level. <laughs> I want to make a joke, but I actually don't know. Was Mandy Patinkin's character on Criminal Minds inspired by Will Graham? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Well, in, I mean, in as much as we argue that Will Graham is the prototype for that character, but not, not much more than that. Okay. For that character trope, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. The the, the broader, like, cultural idea of the character. The FBI profiler who hunts serial killers. Not the specific Jason Gideon character. Yeah. Man, I liked that show once. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of it, but the parts that I did see, I really liked. Yeah. I do still argue that Shamar Moore would have made a really kick-ass Luke Cage to any of my uh, comics. Oh, dude! <laughs> that would yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, Hannibal. Hannibal. <laughs> Wouldn't be a matter of taste without a tangent into something. <laughs> without a digression that has fucking nothing to do with this. <laughs> No, people can track and see how we got from there to here, mm-hmm. if they try. I, I think I may have said previously on the podcast that Criminal Minds feels very much like they're trying to do, well, at least early on or in certain seasons, it feels like each episode is trying to do a mini Silence of the Lambs. <sighs> kind of. I mean, if you go with the just the hunting of serial killers and... Like, I liked the first three seasons or so, and then it just got exhausting. Oh, yeah. Um, but like any procedural criminal minds lives and dies on the relationship between the characters you see all the time. Mm-hmm. And they did that really, really well until things just got ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I think the cast never really got over with how Mandy Patinkin left the show. Uh, Which was, you know, by not showing up to the table read, and that's how they found out he... That's how everybody found out he quit, was when he just didn't show up to work. Oh, wow. That's rough. Yeah, which is, you know, it's a dick move. I, You know, I understand you were having difficulty with the subject matter, it wasn't quite the show you thought it was, you were having nightmares, that's fine. Just, you know, be a grown-up and use your words. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of good segues. <laughs> I don't think even Alina could come up with a good one for that. <laughs> I mean, I, I was engaged, and I was really interested in everything you were saying, and then I was like, where do we go from here? <laughs> I don't know. I don't um, know. Um, Abigail, we, we touched on her storyline this episode, but we didn't really dig deep into it. You know, I think that was all in the pre-show banter. We didn't actually touch oh, on it. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, so <clears throat> forget everything we just said right there. <laughs> Abigail. Let's talk about Abigail. Oh, Abigail. So, yeah, we, um, I think what I was saying in the pre-show banter was that Abigail, upon second viewing, I realized that at first it seemed like her scenes didn't so much have to do with the rest of the episode, but then thinking about the whole theme of family in this episode and the whole season, uh, that definitely, uh, warranted, that, that definitely gave a reason for them to be there. But specifically, we haven't talked about Abigail and her father, which Cleo fucking called three years ago on the podcast, or two years ago. That girl, if she had lived 300 years ago, would have been burned as a witch. <laughs> By that girl, I mean Cleo, not Abigail. Oh, oh yeah. I was going to say, because Abigail like, was, wasn't she? <laughs> no, she was hung as a witch. Nobody hung got as a witch. Burned. Okay, there you Nobody go. got burned at Salem. Come on. <laughs> Haven't you seen or read or been in the Crucible? <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, God, who did I play? Hale, I think. Was Hale mm. the preacher? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, I played Proctor. We would have been friends. <laughs> this seems would fitting for some we're, reason. We're not now. <laughs> <laughs> this entire podcast has been a sham. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my cupboard. Damn. One Freudian slip and the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> well, it was a good run. Yeah. But I killed it. Yes. Go. <laughs> yeah. Cleo called it all the way back on either our Silence of the Lambs episode or our Hannibal episode where she was talking about in Oof, we have the whole uh, mushrooms scene, which was a scene from the Hannibal novel with uh, Clarice. And uh, they make us, they specifically mentioned it in the first season that, that uh, Abigail asks, is my, uh, my father being buried or something and they said oh he hasn't been buried yet they're not burying him uh, until the case is closed or whatever and uh, cleo was like oh fuck oh fuck (laughs) and we got it we got it this episode and holy crap (laughs) again yeah all the praise to uh friggin uh oh my gosh i'm blanking on her name (laughs) Casey Cadoodles, Casey yes. Roll. Casey Roll. Because, like, the, the way that she starts hyperventilating after slicing her father in the throat. And getting a spurt of formaldehyde, which is somehow grosser than blood. And yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah. And that's, I think, why it's almost more disturbing. Or is more disturbing. Because we're used to, especially on a show like this, we're used to seeing... Especially with a character who has had her own throat cut open many times, we're used to seeing blood spraying from many times. Neck. Whereas you see the formaldehyde start pouring out, and it's like, oh, this is this is not normal. Yeah, this is worse. <laughs> this is worse than <laughs> you know so a live worse. person spurting blood. And that's the other thing because his skin was all mottled and everything. Oh man. It- do you smell your father? Of course she does. He's rotting in the chair. Oh my gosh. You went and got him? How? How? Well, Explain again, your wizard murder, murder wizardry to me, Hannibal. Again, it, 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 it makes a little more sense than uh, Hannibal digging up Clarice's father. <laughs> well, yeah. It was a little easier for her. I think even Cleo said when she brought it up, like, oh, it's even easier. He's not even in the ground. Yeah. Well, he's surely in the ground by then. It's like a year later, right? Yeah, that was that was post. Um... I mean, he was all dressed for his funeral and everything. He had to go get him and dig him up. Oh. Yeah, that, that was uh, post the faked death at the end of um, season one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he definitely dug him up. Okay. Okay. Well, so, there we go. <laughs> like, how do you do that? I sound like Cleo now. How do you do that? <laughs> Murder wizardry. Murder wizardry. The TV series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just sort of watching Abigail shift from totally terrified that she's going to die to, oh, you're not going to kill me? I'm totally throwing my my hat in with you. If that's what it takes to not get killed, I'm here for it. See, and I, on my first viewing, because of the look in her eyes when Han- when Hannah was talking to her about, like, oh, uh, when he's, like, setting up the IV and everything, and he's talking to her about, like, she asks him, uh, how would you have done it, or something like that. And it, something about the look in her eyes, I thought she was drugged again. I thought she was on shrooms again. <laughs> but then thinking about it, I'm like, no, nah, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I, well, I, don't it think, was... I don't think she was drugged, but he had already drained quite a bit of blood from her, so she was probably just kind of delirious from that. That's true. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was a really sharp contrast, her terror in the scene previous, and then her just being like, uh, oh yeah, so how would you have killed me? <laughs> when people have Can the, I pull the trigger? <laughs> I remember, um, I had a friend who was like really sensitive to any amount of blood loss. 
and she would give blood, like, all the time, and then afterwards, we'd have to, like, walk her back to class, and she'd be, like, completely droopy and basically just high off her ass. Like, <laughs> so that's that's what I figured that bit of a, like, effect in the performance was. Ah, mm-hmm. that's a very nuanced performance. Nuance, this series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it also makes sense that in order to survive with her father, she had to go along with what he was doing. So she's used to that. Mm-hmm. So you just keep doing it with Hannibal, and, you know, you want to hunt with me? You like hunting with your dad? Awesome, let's hunt with me. Mm-hmm. And you'll throw Dr. Bloom out a window. So, I think someone brought this up in the comments somewhere, uh, and we've touched on it before, I think, on the podcast, but it... it Bears bringing up again, when do we think Hannibal decided he was going to kill Abigail? Because in that scene we saw this episode, he already knew that Will had, Will, like, because he had had that last supper with Will when he knew that Will had betrayed him with the whole Freddy thing Mm -hmm. and gave him the opportunity to get out of it. And Will was like, no, we got to do this shit. And Hannibal's like, well, fuck me. Um, (laughs) But... Do, had he decided to kill Abigail at that point, or was it in that moment when Will says, when he says, did you think you could change me, and Will says, I already have? Because me, every time I've watched that scene, I feel like that is the moment when he decides to kill Abigail. But other people, I, I think, it, I don't know. I don't know. How do you guys interpret it? Um, I think it... I think you're right. I think it's the moment that that Hannibal sees that he is not going to get the family he thought he wanted, he thought he was going to get, and he's like, nope. Oh, really? You're, you're going to take you away from me? Then I'm going to take her away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Hannibal. Fucking Hannibal. He's a king of the dick move. Yeah. Besides that, we close this scene with a, unless I'm much mistaken, a reinterpretation of the letter from uh, the novel and movies. Instead of a letter, it's a phone call, and... How did he get that number? Yeah. How did he get that number? How does that even... How? And how does he fool someone into thinking, oh yeah, I'm just (laughs) Hannibal's attorney. I'm totally Hannibal's attorney. You've never talked to me before in your entire life. Like, that's not how that works. (laughs) That is not how that works. (laughs) A lot of times parts of this show remind me of, uh, there's a Grant Morrison quote where people ask him about, they're, they're talking to him about comics and he's like, he brings up the fact that he's like, talking to adults about comics is exhausting. He's like, you talk to, or he's like, you know, you tell a story to a kid and they just sort of accept it. He's like, you tell a Batman story to an adult and they start asking all these stupid fucking questions. Like, who changes the tires in the Batmobile? Nobody changes the tires in the Batmobile. It's the goddamn Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's the attitude I have towards this show. Where it's like, of course you he went to dug him up. Of course he went to dig him up. He had to dig him up. She had to see him. Like what's... <laughs> Yeah, it, it does have that same... It's that height, heightened reality of, right. of opera and the dream logic. Like, I don't ask that many questions during the magic flute. I just kind of fucking accept it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> the friggin' magic flute. I'm, I'm not here... <laughs> I'm not here... You know, dissecting the geographical logistics of the temperous hazards of love. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would. <laughs> Maybe you should. Yeah, I would totally do that. Because <laughs> I freaking love that album. But no, anyway. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it, it is a lot of fun. Because, I, I mean, you, you've freaking been there for those kind of arguments that we have about stupid comic book bullshit. Oh, yeah. Like, like that nobody needs answered ever. <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, at some point it's just like, it's, I, I don't care. It's the story. Of course he calls him. Why wouldn't he call him? Like, <laughs> it is interesting how 
his voice changes when he tells Lecter that he's going to become the Great Red Dragon. Yeah, that was that was a bit much. That did feel a bit much. Okay, so it wasn't just me. Yeah. No. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, is he going to be using that voice for when he actually is, like, the dragon? <laughs> or when he's talking about being the dragon? I don't know. Probably. Are we going to get... Christian Bale Batman voice. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> I, I hope not. And if we do, I hope he had a lot of honey lemon throat lozenges. Yeah. It's, can't ruin that beautiful voice. I mean, it's better than getting the Bane voice for the Great Red Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Actually, no, no, I'm walking that back. I'd like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the Leech family, transformed, do you see? <laughs> yes, that is all I want. We're going to have to redub all these episodes now. Oh. <laughs> With my Bane voice? Yes. It's going to take a while. I, I have things to do. They can, they can wait, okay? I just bought a house. <laughs> Oh, Bane voice, Red Dragon. There we go. I, I kind of did that voice when I was talking about, <laughs> back in the Red Dragon episode, when I was talking about uh, uh, the Red Dragon, like, the entity having a voice separate from Ray Fiennes, like, you should kill Reva. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just makes it more palatable if the Red Dragon has a really goofy voice. Oh, of course. But yeah... Thinking about, reeling it back in, <laughs> thinking about the way that Richard Armitage has portrayed Dance Dances Frawlerhide. <laughs> <laughs> he dances the Frawlerhide. <laughs> I think it's late. <laughs> it is getting late. It's not even as late as we usually do this podcast. No. I'm not even drinking. You guys are the ones drinking. I haven't eaten all day. <laughs> oh, man. I have the tolerance of a shoestring. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> anyway, I'll make this quick so that... <laughs> oh, what? Okay, okay, no. We need to go back to the dance sprawler. <laughs> dance sprawler. <laughs> <laughs> is that like a Gavage? Is it a Volta? Like, what is it? I think it's a Volta. Oh, man. Oh, man. Maybe it's a Chacon. <laughs> Maybe. It's definitely not a real. <laughs> send us, send us, send your, us your suggestions. suggestions. <laughs> what is the Frawler hide, and how does one dance it? <laughs> And now I'm thinking of a clip of that family dance from the Adams family. Oh god, the mamushka! <laughs> the mamushka, that was it. I couldn't remember. Tonight what it was. we dance the mamushka for you! And now I'm thinking it has something to do with Frollo from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Oh, he doesn't dance. <laughs> no, it is too He's... sinful. Right. He, he definitely he was actually have... later. He was actually later reincarnated as the mayor from Footloose. <laughs> Right, in which one does not have sex standing up because it could lead to dancing. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really sound logic. It's, it's just science. <laughs> <laughs> and so, consummate professionals. <laughs> consummate professionals, definitely not drunk. <laughs> um, Francis Dollarhide, the way that that Richard Armitage has been portraying the character up until this point makes me really interested in how he's going to portray the dragon side of him when we see him in... Because they're going to do the scene we're thinking of. We just don't know who it's going to be in the chair and how exactly they're going to do it. Right. But I'm really excited to see how Richard Armitage portrays the dragon side of Dollarhide. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of rhymed. Yeah. I... Uh, Especially because his interpretation is so much more plaintive and subdued in comparison to Ray Fiennes's. Mm-hmm. Another thing, like, another way that I sort of thought about the differences between the two portrayals is there's that scene in uh, Red Dragon, the movie, where 
Francis Dollarhide is sort of arguing with himself, and uh, he turns the shot. He has a shotgun in his hands, and he turns it on himself, which, as I mentioned on the podcast before when we talked about it, is a very, very startling moment. There's, uh, there's something about Armitage's portrayal of Dollarhide where I almost feel like I wouldn't be as surprised to see that moment coming from this Dollarhide. Yeah. And I think we're, like, it's going to, like, again, the I, I said this this half of the season is going to ruin me because of what happens to Will Graham, but it's it's also going to be really heartbreaking because we got the first rehearsal of the stuff with his grandmother, and I'm just, that is something that I'm awaiting with trepidation <laughs> to see how that gets uh, portrayed on the show. I'm, I'm excited to see it, but it's also, it's going, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. So, on that note, I think we've pretty much covered this episode back to front. Reba is not for eating. Neither is Alana. Neither is Margot or their kid. Or their kid. Yeah. Oh! I asked um, during the live tweet when Alana was listing all of the things that she could take away from Hannibal. And I tweeted at Cleo, yeah, but what about his fucking cooking privileges? Does he get to, is he, she gonna take those away too? Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, the, 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 Sean Lightfoot, is it? Uh, tweeted, tweeted back, no, he keeps those. Uh, I, Stephen Lightfoot, I think. Stephen Lightfoot. <laughs> That's yes, pretty amazing though. He keeps those. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or no, it was Sean Armstrong. Sean, Sean Armstrong. Armstrong said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe it's safer that way. <laughs> maybe. <is> ironically. <laughs> right. But, like, they won't let him have scissors, but somehow he has cooking utensils. I'm looking like, at... I've seen Cutthroat Kitchen. I know how difficult it can be when you don't have any hand tools. <laughs> but you still let them have fire. Yeah. So. That's living on the edge, Alana. Yeah. Living on the edge. I'm looking at the episode titles for the rest of the season, and episode 13 is The Wrath of the Lamb. That is, that is uh, quite a title. <laughs> hmm. Again, taken from a Blake painting. But yeah, that'll be interesting. Alright. Unless there's anything else, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion of episode 9 of season 3 of Hannibal and the woman clothed with the sun. Uh, this Thursday for Canadian viewers, this Saturday for American viewers. And, like, d didn't Kaylee said that she gets it on, like, the Tuesday after or something like that? The Tuesday or the Wednesday. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I believe she has methods. True. Um, oh my gosh, I almost didn't get to see the episode because friggin' baseball, the bane of my, uh, the bane of my existence when it comes to the show. I have no problem with baseball and sports as a rule, and I try not to be like, oh, I'm not into sports. Why are you into sports about anything? Because it's like, what the fuck do I care? <laughs> but when it gets in the way of me watching Hannibal, oh. <laughs> yeah. He's going to write yeah. such a letter. Like, I, I actually, I tried to get a live stream set up, and, and I couldn't, like, I got a few of the scenes, and then it just wasn't working, and so we switched back over to cable, and... It was just starting the episode. Like, it was 15 minutes after 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. But it was, they did show the episode, and I get, did get to watch it on the night, at least. Right. But I was, ah, oh, baseball. Which teams was it? The Yankees? Uh, Yankee, yeah, Yankees and the Clippers, I want to say. Fucking Yankees. Fucking Yankees. <laughs> I... 
I my family was interesting to grow up in because my dad is a Mets fan, my brother was a Yankees fan, and one of my cousins was a Red Sox fan. So, <laughs> but anyway, that's the most sports that I've ever talked ever, especially on this podcast, and we have strayed far from Hannibal discussion. So, uh, join us next week for our discussion of episode ten of season three of Hannibal. And the woman clothed in the sun, <laughs> which that is the that one is the painting that Dollar Hyde gets tattooed on his back. Back, correct? Yes. So sure. I'm wondering if we're going to get that scene, the "Do You See" scene, this episode, sort of to tie in with that title. Yeah, we didn't get a promo or anything. Oh, we didn't get a promo. That that is incredible restraint when it comes to this show because yeah. usually they're like oh yeah the guy who killed the judge it's matthew brown <laughs> no big <Yeah>. deal <laughs> or not the judge he killed uh the uh the bailiff first the bailiff. Yeah. The bailiff. Hannibal Hannibal. Killed the judge. yeah Hannibal killed the judge because he was pissed off <clears throat> about his boyfriend worst boyfriend ever yeah <laughs> worst boyfriend ever can't even take a breakup gracefully I don't know. Talk to some of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of friends do you have? <laughs> or what kind of exes do they have? Like, are we talking like murder husband type level, or where are we going? How far are we going with this? I was making a dickish comment. That's not really. Okay. <laughs> I was just saying, I was kind of concerned. I was, I, no, I was literally just saying it because why not? Like, <laughs> it's not... anyway. Thank it's you all for pleasure. listening. Yeah, thank you, Raiden, for joining us. Uh, it's been a ball having you on. Absolutely. It was it was definitely fun. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOT Podcast. Find full episode posts at a matter of And follow us as a matter of taste podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. This this is gonna be fun. Well, you you know that I called in my chit yes. to be here before the episode is over. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no guys, I need I need this one. Oh my god. <laughs>